0: Hello everyone, great to see you. It is almost 20 years ago to the day since uh, September the 11th, 2001, where tragically 256 passengers lost their lives in the airplanes used in the terrorist attacks in the United States. But the following year, statisticians noticed a very strange side effect 2002 statistics showed that there was a dramatic increase in road traffic fatalities in the US. 1,600 extra in total, a 4% increase on the previous year. And the researchers concluded that what was happening is that following the 9-11 attacks, out of fear, people had stopped using airplanes and instead started using their cars to go on holiday. And that increase in traffic resulted in more uh, accidents, and the increase in accidents resulted in more deaths. And the irony is that for each person making that decision, whether it was conscious or subconscious, actually, driving was a far more dangerous choice than flying, statistically. In fact, in all of the years following 9-11, for the next few years, there were zero deaths on commercial flights. In response to this phenomenon, Uh, Professor Gerd Gigerenzer, who is the director of a um, Center for Risk Literacy, he said this, paradoxically, we have hardly any fear of dying in an accident, but we are more afraid of perishing along with many others, as in an aircraft or a terrorist attack. When we travel on a flight, we disregard the fact that we have already put the statistically most dangerous part of the journey behind us when we leave our car in the car park at the airport. And he then goes on to say this, it's difficult for people to assess risks correctly. Their subjective fear strongly differs from factual reality. The reason I've started with this story is that I think in a similar way, the Bible tells us that there are some things that we should fear, but there are other things that we shouldn't fear. And sometimes I think the Bible says that we have a a kind of skewed perspective And we fear the wrong things. So before looking at the passage in Revelation that we heard a minute ago, I'm just going to start by setting out some verses in the Bible that talk about fear. First, there are loads that command us to fear. So here are some examples that are going to come up. I won't read all of them, but just an example. Deuteronomy 6. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Joshua, fear the Lord, and serve him with all faithfulness. Proverbs 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure and turmoil with it. Ecclesiastes 13, the end of the book. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. In total, the Bible has 56 passages where we are told to fear. And yet there are also 36 passages where we are told not to fear. So here are some of them coming up. Genesis 26, I am the God of your father Abraham, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Matthew 10, fear not therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So how do we navigate these two different sets of passages? Well, you might have noticed that actually these two sets of verses differ in a key way they differ that in each group, the object of your fear is very different. In the first set of passages, we are told to fear the Lord. But in the second, we are told not to fear the world. Fear the Lord, but do not fear the world. And tonight, we're going to spend a bit of time unpacking that, working out what it really means to fear God and not to fear the world. So let's start by... Reading again that passage in Revelation, if you have a Bible or a phone in front of you, then do pull it up and keep um, looking at it. Uh, Let's start again from verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches." and I will not try to pronounce them. Uh, So there's the context. John, he's uh, one of Jesus' disciples. He's having a nice time in Patmos. Uh, I don't think he was on holiday, but he, he has this vision, and he's told to write it down, and this is what he writes from verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. That's referring to Jesus. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash, "...around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance." As you might know, this is the final Sunday of our series called "Awe in August, it wouldn't really make sense to carry on much further. Uh, But this vision, this is awesome. It's strange, I get it, it's weird, but it's awesome. John has this dramatic, awesome vision of Jesus Christ. And remember that this is metaphorical, it's not literal, so it says his eyes were like blazing fire, they were not literally blazing fire. But even so, isn't this just a terrifying vision of Jesus? This isn't Jesus meek and mild, from Sunday school. Imagine imagine for a second being John. Imagine standing face to face with someone who can hold in their right hand seven stars. Stars are huge. Astronomers have found some stars that are so big that you could fit planet Earth a billion times into them. That is incomprehensibly large, and it's as if Jesus is just holding them in his hand. Or his voice His voice is so powerful. It's like the sound of rushing waters. But it's also so full of authority. It's like a sharp double-edged sword. It cuts. A voice so powerful that it spoke the whole universe into existence. And it could speak the whole universe out of existence if it chose to. His face, it says, was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. That's the same sun that even though it is 100 miles away from us, On a very average day in England, it can literally burn our skin. And John is there next to it, face to face. And his eyes are like blazing fire. That means he he sees all things. So he sees all the things in my life, in your life. He sees our actions, he sees our thoughts. He sees the stuff we haven't told anyone about. This is terrifying. This passage, I think, is through very weird and strange pictures trying to put into words the objective reality of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God who is infinitely more glorious than anything or anyone that we can comprehend. And so it is no wonder that John's reaction is verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Wouldn't we do the same if we came face-to-face with that God? Messy James with his, his broken life and his imperfect life. If you came face-to-face with that, it's the only logical reaction. We would feel very, very small and very, very inadequate. As I've hinted at already this talk one of the things I find really interesting is astronomy, so if you don't, then sorry, just bear with me. Uh, and admittedly, London isn't the best place for it, but every time I venture outside the M25, I love to, when it's clear, look up, look up at the sky and see these things called stars, which exist elsewhere. Uh, and you see thousands of these stars, thousands of stars in the sky, all millions of miles away. And when I do that, don't you just feel so small? Scientists estimate that there are about two trillion galaxies in the known universe. We are in one of them. And in our one, there are hundreds of billions of stars. And we are on a small rock orbiting one of those stars. To just take our galaxy, which is the Milky Way, if, if I stood at the edge of the Milky Way and shone a torch, by the time the light had hit the other side, of our milky way thousands of generations would have come and gone we cannot even comprehend the scale of the universe and in this passage we see john coming face to face with the one who is bigger than that who spoke that into existence the lord of lords the king of kings jesus christ After reading that passage, doesn't it challenge you? When I pray, is that the God I'm praying to? When I worship, when I come to church, is that the God I sing to? Or do I actually pray to a a sort of watered-down, tame, safe, pocket-sized Jesus that I think I can fit into my life? I think that's what it means when it talks about fearing the Lord. It it doesn't mean being in a permanent state of terror and anxiety about what God might do to us, but it does mean being in ongoing awe and wonder at the power and the might and the glory of God. So if you call yourself a Christian, do, do you think you have that? Do you have that fear of the Lord, that deep reverence for him? When we worship, when we were singing just now, or even later when we sing, do we acknowledge that we're doing something incredible? We are, we're singing to the, the one who made everything, who upholds everything, and who sees everything. And a God who's not only involved in the big, but also remarkably, rem- miraculously is involved in the small, and so knows you. Knows all your ups and downs, all your passions, all your emotions, all your vulnerabilities. And my worry is that sometimes we become so familiar, so familiar with Jesus, with church, with prayer, that we, we lose that sense of awe. You may have seen the film Free Solo. It's about a rock climber called Alex Honnold, who in 2008 climbed El Capitan, which is this vertical uh, granite rock face in California. It's about 3,000 feet high. And the amazing thing was that he did it without any ropes at all. Um, he's the only person in all of history to have done so. We now, heard. back in 2006, some scientists asked uh, Alex Honnold if they could do some research on him. They were like, who is this crazy guy? We want to understand him. So they asked if they could uh, do an experiment and they put him in an MRI scanner, and they scanned his brain. And what they found was amazing. They found that what's called his amygdala, which is the part of the brain that signals when you're scared, it was basically unresponsive. It was basically dead. (laughs) He literally doesn't feel fear. And um, when they talked to him about this and tried to understand, he said, well, maybe the reason why is that I've done this so many times before. I do these terrifying things all the time, and so I'm basically numb to it. I don't, just don't feel fear, it just feels normal. Now, maybe for Alex, that's probably a good thing. You wouldn't want to see him trembling when he's up on that cliff. But to apply this to our context, it, it made me think, is there a risk that we become so familiar with our way of doing church, going through the motions, that we lose that fear with Jesus? That we come to church expecting to sing some nice tunes, but not really to do anything more. That we read the Bible and we expect to hear something comforting and and nice and helpful for our day, but not really to be challenged. Not really to encounter the God who made the universe and who has a dramatic plan for our life. That we pray, but we don't really expect God to, to listen or to respond. And if so, that is so inconsistent. Look, I get that there are different people here in different circumstances, so let me briefly just segment you into different categories. Let's say you're, uh, you're here and you're, you're an atheist or you're agnostic, you're just trying to work things out, maybe you think this is all nonsense. First of all, thank you for being here, thank you for exploring, um, and I, I guess you don't really fear Jesus. You think maybe he's made up, um, or at least he's not God. That is consistent. You are being consistent, if you believe that. Maybe you're a Christian, and you you fear God in the way we've talked about. You have that awe and that wonder for him. That is consistent. The one group that is deeply inconsistent, and that I feel I am often a part of, is the group who says we are a Christian, but when we pray, when we worship, when we live our day-to-day lives we don't really have a fear of God. We don't really show him any degree of awe, or respect, or authority over our lives and our life choices. Remember what Gerd Gigerenza said about those people who started driving their cars after the 9-11 attacks? He said, their subjective fear differs from factual reality. As Christians, we be, believe that the factual reality is that there is a God who is Almighty, who is powerful, who is awesome. He is not something that can be contained within a pre-existing worldview or lifestyle. He is too big for that. Remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you know it well, um, when Susan is talking about meeting Aslan, who's the sort of godlike figure in the book, and um, and she asks, "Oh, is he safe?" I'd be a bit nervous about meeting a lion. And the beaver who who she's talking to says, safe? Of course he's not safe. Of course Jesus isn't safe. Now, please don't leave now, because if the talk ended then, it would be pretty depressing. Um, But thankfully, the passage continues, and thankfully as well, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the beaver then says, but he is good. He's the king. And we see that in the next part of our passage. Let's read on from where we left off in verse 17. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So after meeting this awesome Jesus face to face and falling down at his feet as though dead, John is told these incredible words. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I think in many ways, the Christian life is really about learning to to let go of the wrong kind of fears and learning to embrace a healthy fear of God. And if that sounds a, a bit odd, I actually think they go hand in hand. I actually think only when you truly fear God can you truly let go of your fear of the world? Maybe this sounds a bit strange, so let me use an analogy. Suppose that you're in a legal dispute, and someone's saying that you owe them hundreds of thousands of pounds. Your bank is threatening to kick you out of your nice uh, Clapham flat that you've just bought. It's all a disaster. And suppose you're in this situation, and you're talking to a friend, and your friend says to you, Oh, it'll be fine. be fine. Don't worry. It'll be fine. How do you think you'd respond? I mean, maybe you'd find it slightly reassuring. I think I'd probably just be a bit annoyed. I mean, what do they know? They don't know anything. Why do they they just say it's fine? It could be awful. Now, suppose instead you're chatting to the barrister who you've hired to help you in in this legal issue, and the barrister says the same thing. The barrister says, oh, I think you'll be fine. Maybe that's a bit more reassuring, but I think it's still... I would have some concerns. I mean, the barrister's on my side. There's, a, there's another barrister on the other side, if that's how these legal things work. Um, and, and he's not the decision maker. So, so maybe that's an issue. But suppose, finally, suppose the judge comes up to you and says, I've looked at the evidence, and you're free. You have nothing to fear. You don't owe anyone anything. Now, if that was the case, you'd be delighted You'd have nothing to fear. Why? Well, they're the judge. They're the one with the power. They're the one with the authority. And so when the judge says that you're free, you really are free. And so in a similar way, it is only because Jesus is so mighty and strong and exalted and that he loves us can, we, can he also say to us, do not be afraid of the world. It is only because he is so incomprehensibly powerful and radiant and more powerful than the world that he can reassure us that we should not fear the world and all the terrible things that might happen. Look, I get that on face value, there is a lot to fear. The world is complex and volatile and uncertain and completely out of our control. So much of the time, we're not even in control of our own minds. Or our own fears, let alone our circumstances. We have a lot to fear. Our health, our friendships, our relationships, the health of those we love, our jobs. And above all, I'd suggest, we fear death. We don't like to talk about it much, but it's true. Because whatever our circumstances are, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, healthy or sick, all of us, will die. There will be a day where every single one of us sitting in this room will be gone. And none of us have seen what it is like on the other side. So the only reason we would have not to fear death is if there was someone who was supreme over death. And that is exactly what we see in this passage. From verse 17, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And I was dead. And now I am alive forever and ever. Jesus is so powerful that even death submits to him. And it is only because Jesus has power over death that we do not need to fear death. But to conclude, if Jesus is powerful, but he's not loving, then it is terrifying. If Jesus is loving, but he's not powerful, then it's meaningless. If Jesus is powerful and loving, that is remarkable. It is the glory and the power of Jesus that makes the grace and the love of Jesus so reassuring. There are lots of misconceptions, I think, around the book of Revelation. I admit I don't understand all of it. I'm afraid I haven't deduced the date of Jesus' return yet from reading it. Um, Above all, though, I think Revelation is a declaration of victory. It's written at the time to encourage a deeply persecuted church that actually the story does not end with death, but ends with victory. It declares that through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is and always will be victorious over the world, victorious over sin, over suffering, and over death. He is now seated on his throne, it says. Seated because he's done it. He has accomplished what he set out to do. It's finished. I know we still have lots of fears about the world. I don't expect them to all disappear now that we've heard this talk. But, but I, I hope that the more we grasp and comprehend just how powerful and mighty God is, the more it puts our worldly fears into perspective. So if you're a Christian tonight, can I just encourage you, as I encourage me, to try and reorder our fears around God? And maybe if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I hope you've just seen a little bit of what we believe Jesus offers. And can I encourage you to to keep investigating? I think it's great that you're here. And I don't expect you to believe everything that I've said or everything in the passage. But I honestly do believe that I think all of us should have on our bucket list one thing. That is make your mind up about Jesus. It is one of the most bizarre stories in the history of the world that a uneducated carpenter... From a Middle Eastern village 2,000 years ago is now the most adored person in all of history. And if what we've read today is true, then this is high stakes. Jesus would not just be a wise preacher, he would not just be a thought leader or an inspiration, he would be a savior. It would be incredibly good news, and it would change everything. Our lives are short. And I don't think there are many more important things you can do with it than to think about this. Shall I pray to finish? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge right now that you are mighty. You are awesome. You are glorious. And we are sorry for when we've become so familiar with you that we have lost that sense of awe. So we pray, help us. Help us to fear you rightly. Help us to have that reverence for you. And thank you that through that we do not need to fear the world. Thank you that you are alive with us that you died and rose again. And we praise you for that. In your name, amen.